coming up in this episode of Can You Believe It? Oh, I found some shit. What do you think this is? Uh, looks like shit, Tom. <laughs> it's um, sorry to err on the side of like reality. And yeah, whatnot. well, you would. <laughs> Mate, I'm, I'm eating my fucking... Look under the napkin. But I'm, I'm trying to eat Look sausage. under the napkin. Oh, it's a human head! What the fuck are you... Uh, actually, no, that's just... That, there's a bit of gravy on there. I'll just... UFOs in the skies Illuminati's controlling your life Can you believe it? Rob circles and Jesus toast The time that kiss you fucked a ghost Hello and welcome to Can You Believe It, a semi-regular podcast on the unexplained that asks the all-important question, can you believe it? My name is Matt Neal and I'm joined, as per usual, by Lord of both the Sith and the Rings, the Colonel. Thanks for joining us, Colonel. It's good to be here again. I'm also joined by jazz daredevil and hip-hop provocateur, Brady Jones. Welcome, Brady. (laughs) Yay! <laughs> now, before we dive into today's tale of calamitous curiosity, let's hear a message from our sponsor, Colonel. Great sponsor this week, Matt. Um, fantastic new product on the market. Uh, this is from the Fatcume. The Fatcume is the first do-it-yourself liposuction kit. Uh, remove layers of unwanted fat in the comfort of your own home. Simply open up a one-inch wound, insert the nozzle, and watch the fat disappear. <laughs> Uh, to dispose of the fat, pour it on your compost heap or drizzle some on a summer salad for an interesting <laughs> twist that'll leave your guests gagging for more. Order now with our special code, Can You Believe It, and get an extra fat cube for the office or boat. Thank you very much, fat cube. Yeah, that was, that was something. That was, that was definitely something. Pang Bosch. Is a village in the is a dope rapper. <laughs> is the is a village in the Solakumbu district of Nepal. It sits in the Himalayas at an altitude altitude of almost four kilometers above sea level, and is located on the Mount Everest base camp tracking trekking route, about twenty kilometers as the crow flies from Mount Everest. Its population mostly comprises Sherpas. And has a couple of lodges. Lodges where mountaineers stop to eat and sleep on their way up the world's tallest mountain. Pangbosh is also home to a 600-year-old monastery, which is built around a rock where a a famous lama once meditated. Not the animal. Just I just want to clear that up before when he's played right, that card. Okay. Yeah, but the monastery well, the animal. <laughs> but the monastery's biggest claim to fame is that it's home to what is purported to be a yeti hand and scalp. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Yep, I'm in. Now, the legend goes that many years ago, a monk from Pangbosh went to a nearby cave to meditate and came across a sleeping yeti. The monk fled, but returned some years later to find the yeti was dead. The forward-thinking monk hacked off the hand and scalp as proof of his encounter before returning to the monastery at Pangbosh. The name of the monk responsible is unknown, as is the date when this happened. Hey, everybody, I've got a fucking giant monkey head and a hand, and there. No, even. Got even it in the cave. Hey, I've got this giant yeti hand. Oh, you know what? A scalp would really pr- well look inside <laughs> the <that> bag. <laughs> <laughs> 
the hand and scalp have proved to be a source of income for the temple. Visitors would pay money to see the artifacts or they would be allowed to have their photo taken with the Yeti body parts for an even greater fee. This helped to fund the temple and the monks who lived there. While the story of this Yeti hand and scalp was well known in the Himalayas and down into the subcontinent, it was largely unheard of in the West. The first Westerner to seek out these relics was believed to be an American named Tom Slick. Ooh, mm. sweet name. It's so, yep. such a good name. You could be anything with the name Tom Slick. You could be... Doc, is this going to turn into a porno at any point? Like When you say Tom Slick, I just sort of picture this kind of... You know, Indiana Jones mountaineer figure with a whip, and yeah, yeah you know? could be. I, I mean, it's a good name for like a hard boiled 1940s detective out on the streets. Tom Slick on the case, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of picturing Wearing with like one of those like yeah. digger hats, you know, like the guy from in like in Predator. I think it's like uh, Jesse Ventura, yeah. like it's oh, that, yeah. that hat with like you know one side clipped up. That's Tom. Well, he could, he could be Tom Slick. Vibe. Could be a cowboy. With a name like that, you could be yeah. a spy. You yeah. could be. He could be anything his heart desires. A bootlegger. It's a good name. Yeah, I think is what we're trying to get across. Yes. <laughs> now, Slick was born in 1916. Was a son of an oil baron. His interest in cryptozoology was reportedly first piqued after reading about President Roosevelt's sons, Theodore Roosevelt Jr. and Kermit Roosevelt's 1928-29 expedition to hunt and kill a giant panda. This was. <laughs> This was said this was said to be the first time a white hunter had shot a panda with the creature ending up in the Chicago Museum the first example of a taxidermied panda appearing in a museum anywhere in the world uh, you, well so you don't know the panda could have been actually attacking villages before he coming took right it for us yeah, it's coming yeah. right for the uh, bamboo people of uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to eat all the bamboo They're people doing irre- irreparable damage to our bamboo plantations <laughs> My the, bamboo baby. <laughs> the trip also brought back a takin, which is a now endangered goat-like creature similar to a musk ox, only found in the eastern Himalayas and never before seen in the West. Mm. So these stories kicked off Tom Slick's lifelong uh, fascination with strange animals and coupled with a large inheritance following the death of his father, Slick was free to pursue this fascination. Just going to throw all my cash at finding up. monsters. Fuck yeah. Got a cool name. Yeah. He's got the passion, the drive. And the money. And and the money again. <laughs> I hope he's got a lot of guns. Yeah, I imagine he's got a lot of money. <laughs> Double money. In 1937, Slick drove across Europe with some of his frat buddies from Yale and made sure that the Loch Ness was on that itinerary. In 1939, Slick drove to Muskegee, Muskegee, Arkansas to buy a creature called a hoat, which was supposedly half hog, half goat. Well, the hoat belonged to a postman named Mr. R.B. Grubb, who claimed the creature was part Poland China hog, part goat, which he had purchased from an Arkansas preacher named J.W. Usher. Was it alive? Yep. What? Usher believed the appearance of this chimeric creature was a sign. So Grubb bought it and put the hoat up for public viewing. In the first two days, this is really an exact number and I don't know how we got it, but in the first two days, 5,128 people came to see the hoat. What? The postman then contacted Robert Ripley, publisher of the syndicated newspaper column Ripley's Believe It or Not. Mm Mm-hmm who featured the creature in his column of February 10, 1939. 
Grubb told Ripley he couldn't keep exhibiting, exhibiting the hoat because he was a postman and he had a real real job to go to. <laughs> <laughs> this is like I, can't, I can't be a professional hoat exhibitor. No. Um, I've got, got mail to deliver. There's a bags and bags of letters here that are going undelivered. <laughs> this is like one of the first reasonable people we've had on this podcast. Yeah. 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 I'm going to keep this up. <laughs> yeah. So soon after, Tom Slick rolled up in his fancy car and paid Grubb $100 for the hoat, which is about 1800 bucks in today's money. Jeez. Slick put the half hog, half goat in the back of his nice automobile and drove off into the sunset. <laughs> he delivered the creature to a San Antonio research farm he had set up where they attempted to breed the animal with hogs and goats but were unsuccessful. Oh, that's what? a shame. Have you seen pictures of it? No, and that's 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 all the that's the entirety of the information I could find about the hoat. Wow. You'd think if you had like a pro like exact figures for the first two days that it was on public viewing someone had have a photo yeah Yeah. it's got to be like some kind of uh like warthog like african warthog or something like that with you know enlarged tusks or something like that there are multiple warthogs with like really crazy looking tusks Mm. um so maybe it could have been one of those species yeah because otherwise we're talking about a hog has had sex with a goat and had offspring and that just doesn't that's yeah no, that's, not gonna work that's completely yeah yeah no like tigers and lion lions yeah yeah can make ligers yeah but i think goats and and hogs can't make hoats no horses and donkeys make mules is that where mules come from yeah yeah and then you can have like um zebras and and ponies like uh, no, ze- zebras and donkeys called zonkeys. zonkeys that's what it is yeah yeah, yeah. Are keep, you sure? Hey, Brady, true, yeah. Brady, keep up. Are you, hey, no, hey. Are, are you sure yeah. the name Zonky isn't just yes. from Mexican tourism where they actually paint black and white stripes <laughs> on the <laughs> trees? No, that's a real thing. Uh, Slick also searched for diamonds in South America, hunted a killer boar in New Zealand, and looked for giant salamanders in California's a Trinity killer Alps. killer boar? Mm. So, like, the, like a boar that killed someone? Mm-hmm. They're wow. pretty aggressive. Yeah, like yeah. I know, I totally get yeah. it. I still find it impressive that you know a pig can kill a man. <laughs> the um, is it in the? Uh, I think it's in the in the top end in in Northern Territory. More people die from boars than they do from crocodiles. Wow! Wow! I may be making that up, but I'm, I feel like that's a real no, thing I've read. Um, there's also another one. I mean, it's nowhere near related, but. Uh, elk kill more people in America than bears or mm-hmm. mountain lions. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. they're, they're probably there's a lower population of bears and more hunters seeking out elk. So, mm. and it's probably like after they've shot them, you know, the elk will stammer up or something and gore yeah, them, yeah. you know, with their antlers. Well, it, I the, hope the, <laughs> the 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 most dangerous animal in terms of deaths in Australia, I think, is either a horse or a cow. I thought wow. it was like the Irukandji's like jellyfish or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, f- I feel like I read somewhere that horses are responsible for more fatalities because people just fall off and land on the head and they're dead. Well, actually, yeah. a lot and of people, people are riding a lot of horses, you know. Um, the, the process of like shoeing a horse, like farriering, mm. uh, oh, yeah. ex- kind of exposes you to being kicked. And, and <laughs> well, like, pretty much you're grabbing onto a horse's foot. Yeah, like. yeah. Um, I've heard of multiple people. I used to do a bit of horse riding back in, in, in the day, my horse riding days. Oh, <laughs> Um, and I knew cowboy of, colonel they called him. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I I knew a few people who actually got killed by being kicked in the heart. Two two people, in yeah. fact. You knew yeah. them. 
Yeah, I actually I'd, I'd met them before at wow. um, at horse rides. Mm. Okay. Slick's interest in cryptids also coincided with an interest in science and the power of the mind. He helped fund the help, sorry helped found the Texas Biomedical Research Institute in 1941, which grew out of the San Antonio research farm where he took the hope to. He also founded the Southwest Research Institute in 1947 and the Mind Science Foundation in San Antonio in 1958. He invented something called the lift slab method of construction, which is still used to this day, and he patented that. He also investigated magical healers in the Amazon rainforest and wrote two books about world peace. He sounds dope. Yeah. I really like him. What have so you far. done lately? Yeah. No, <laughs> fucking nothing. Well, I mean, this is all the things that we could all achieve if we had a rich parent that passed away and left us well, double money. This is possibly true. <laughs> yeah. the of, I could do all this with double money, yeah. I'll, I'll only be lucky to achieve one with my job. <laughs> uh, his interest in consciousness and mind powers often led him to India. On one of his many trips, he reportedly met a man who claimed he could levitate and teleport. Mm. Now I'm just going to note that there's, there's a nightcrawler. There's that no would have been the first bam, bam, on the plane, like, <laughs> in the airport. <laughs> Hello, uh, can I take your bags? <laughs> Hare Krishna. <laughs> Um, the fact that there's not more mentioned about this guy's powers of levitation and tra- teleportation makes me think that I think that Slick might have been a little unimpressed, maybe, or mm. that there's nothing more to it. It's just like close your eyes for a second, which gives, gives now I'm over here. <laughs> gives credit now I'm here again to Bam. the rest of everything Bam. that's going to go on because if you can call it, bullshit on uh, yeah on teleportation, yeah, man. yeah, and the hoat. I like him. I like mm. him. I like him too. Yeah. I, I'm feeling positive about this. I like this. him first. It, well, I, I like him as much as you like him. You can both like him, gentlemen. It's okay. Shut up. It was during one of these visits to India in the 1950s that Tom Slick heard about the Yeti. It immediately captured his imagination and he set about trying to learn more about these large ape-like creatures said to live in the Himalayas. Oh, yeah. This is, this is my bread and butter. Sick. His interest in the so-called abominable snowman came around the same time that Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, the first men to climb Mount Everest, revealed their own evidence of encounters with yetis. And not long after Eric Shipton's famous 1951 photo of what he believed to be a yeti footprint. Yeti hunting, while not new, was at its initial peak. There were actually people in the late 1940s that went yeti hunting as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like a fucking great time. Yeah, totally. It's just like getting fucked as you, as you can on like rum and having guns and running around in the snow. Why haven't just we shooting seen, at shit. Why haven't we seen that movie? Even from like a um, comedic kind of point yeah, of view. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Black is <laughs> the yeti hunter. Shipton. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Black in Tom Slick versus the Abominable Snowman. <laughs> in 1956, Slick headed up an expedition to Nepal to hunt the Yeti, only to be stopped by the local government who appeared concerned he was actually going to kill a Yeti. Well, The local government demanded Slick be sponsored by a, quote, an organization of repute or the United States government. Or, or. <laughs> yeah. underlined, uh, bolded. Yeah. <laughs> we they, have, they have no repute. We don't think all. this is an organization of repute. Slick's interest in the Yeti immediately instigated a Nepalese law forbidding the killing of, ye- of Yetis. Is That's- it still a law to this day? <clears throat> I think so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
In response to the Nepalese government's demands, Slick obtained a letter from the San Antonio Zoological Society saying he was merely investigating the creatures on the society's behalf. And in 1957, he was allowed into the country to begin his search. So, let's just like put this in, in perspective. Um, it's not that long ago that people believed that there was this gigantic humanoid... Mm. ape man living on top of a mountain. Well, I think people still believe it. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, and it's not impossible that some of those people were like us in I want to believe, mm. hence why I'm going to go get shit-faced drunk yeah. and walk around with a gun <laughs> in, in the in mountains. <laughs> I would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. See, like, now that I've put a spin on it like that, it's, oh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, okay. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> So, during this trip, uh, Slick set about tracking down eyewitnesses. Slick would then show them a series of animal pictures, asking the interviewee to identify what creature they had seen. And of the 15 witnesses interviewed, the animal most selected was a gorilla, followed by Australopithecus, so pre-homo sapien man, mm-hmm. and an orangutan. Mm-hmm. And also point out, this is the same method that... Remember the uh, Macaulay and Bembe episode from the, the previous the series? The African dinosaur thing. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they would go around showing pictures of the creatures to eyewitnesses. And so, this that's... Uh, Objection. Leading this. the witness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, from these interviews, Slick developed, quote, a theory that there were two distinct species of Yeti. One that was eight feet tall and covered in black hair. And another was that was smaller and had reddish hair. Slick also made several casts of footprints he believed were Yeti tracks, some of which were found in mud as opposed to most Yeti prints being found in snow. Interesting. Uh, He also collected what he believed to be Yeti hair and scat samples. Hmm. Just picking up miscellaneous shit. I got the poop. (laughs) Uh, I found some shit. What do you think this is? Uh, Looks like shit, Tom. (laughs) I have a good feeling about this time. It's going to be Yeti. (laughs) Wait, did you go get that from behind that rock? I was just <laughs> crouching down behind. Why, did you shit over there? Y- y- no. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Because well, then- I think I found some pretty fresh Yeti shit. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Yeti. <clears throat> it's steaming and warm. It <laughs> has berries in it. <laughs> and the berries taste... A lot of corn. <laughs> taste bitter. Oh. <laughs> However, scientific analysis of the hair and scat showed the samples to be either inconclusive at best or fake at worst. Hang on, hang on. Like, poo is not fake. Well, okay. Well, it's not uh, It's not Yeti poo. How would they know? Yeah. You there's, can't... There's com- ways to find out where what creature oh, right. shit there's came a, from. There's a sample that we judge all other Yeti <coughs> shit samples against. You make a very good point, okay. Brady. I, so- look, I don't have enough information about the testing of animal shit, but... Well, this is this is you should have done the research. You should have done the research. So, you can't you can't you can't say that a piece of poo doesn't come from a yeti without having a sample of yeti poo to begin with. You can't disprove it, and you can't prove it. Okay, but what if you have samples of say 
bears and yaks and various other creatures, musk oxes and stuff that live in the Himalayas. Mm. And you have samples of all their shit and you can look at this piece of shit and go, this is exactly the same as that specific piece but of shit. But I feel shit. like if that but was they didn't the case, do that. They said, they said that. it was inconclusive. Some some of the testing was inconclusive and some of it was that it's just, it's not. It's, it's the, fake. The That's hair. a different well, animal. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I think that relates mostly to the hair samples. To be so honest. far, I think that that last quote actually adds to the creeds potentially of, uh, yeah yep. I, I think so uh a yeti hand uh slick had also reportedly found during the expedition turned out to be a snow leopard paw wow slick offered twenty five thousand dollars for a photo of a yeti sadly no one actually came forward with one just to his back lifetime. up a bit yeah like yeah a snow leopard paw versus what i imagine a yeti hand would look like <laughs> Like it's a cat hey man, paw. You want, hey, you want to you want to buy a yeti paw? <laughs> well, yeah, sure. What have you got there? Oh, well, I got this. That is that really a yeti hand? <laughs> yeah, totally. You want to? I got a, You want to buy a Rolex too? Look at its cute little beans. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you that that uh, I think it was like just the skeletal part of it. I don't think it had. It was uh, like yeah, you know, damn. like Strang- rabbit's paw kind strangely, of. Strangely, yeah. I have experience with snow leopards. Um, okay. Okay. I, I, I'm not actually bullshitting. I, 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 I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Go so on. I used to work for a company that uh, that transported uh, animals like all over the world, basically like uh, you know dogs and cats and that sort of thing, but also zoo animals as well. And I was actually present during the importation of a snow leopard into Melbourne uh, last year, and. I was there, like, looked at the cage and, and, like, saw the snow leopard in, and they're bigger and more ferocious than what I kind of thought they would be. Yeah. And so, you know, we got to the zoo and we dropped off the snow leopard and, and when we were there, <laughs> there was a guy standing there with, like, a gun and I'm like, so, like, you know, tranks and stuff in there in case, you know, the snow leopard ever got out and he goes, no tranks in here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like it was like legit like this no leopard can tear mind, your fucking face off my mind is based wholly on what I've seen on planet earth is that they look like they're the TV show not the planet yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I mean when I go into space, space and exactly. zoom in on like but I've seen snow yeah. leopards on Neptune but you know like <laughs> yeah yeah that's a totally different matter yeah. though they have yeti hands um <laughs> <laughs> But, like, they look like they're about the size of, like, a golden retriever, maybe bigger. Yeah. Uh, the, like, their paws are pretty big. Like, Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. They've got to but, get around. But, you on. know, is it a gigantic eight-foot-tall monkey hand? Probably not. No. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I will grant you that. The 1957 expedition would be Slick's last. While in Nepal, he permanently injured his knees by falling out of a bus. Ouch. Mm, I used to be a Yeti adventurer like <laughs> until, until I-, I took a bus to the knee. <laughs> <laughs> but this this didn't stop Slick serving as a financier and organizer of further expeditions to search for the Yeti. During his expeditions, Slick had met an Irish-born big game hunter named Peter Byrne. Oh, Peter Byrne is dope, man. B- Byrne He's cl- awesome. Byrne claimed to have seen Yeti tracks in 1948 and had been leading further expeditions to find the Yeti since 1955. He's like your classic, like, great white hunter kind of thing with, like, the cool hat and everything. Like, And he's Irish. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. He's really cool. Uh, so, in 1958, a team of Slick's men headed up by his new friend, Peter Byrne, set out to find a Yeti for Slick. They came across several, yalic, er, several relics purported to be Yeti scalps and Yeti hands. 
They sent photos back to Slick, who immediately decided one of the Yeti hands was human. The other one, however, intrigued him. This was the hand from the Pangbosh Monastery. Mm. It sounds like it could be a Wu-Tang album, doesn't it? Like (laughs) Yeti hand of the Pangbosh Monastery. (laughs) Ghostface killer! (laughs) (laughs) Peter Byrne described it thus. I don't know if I can do an Irish accent to do this. That would do this justice. You don't have to. I mean, I find it offensive. (laughs) It looked like a large human hand. It was covered with crusted black broken skin. It was very oily from the candles and the oil lamps in the temple. The fingers were hooked and curled. Slick wanted to see the hand for himself and get it studied by experts. But that meant getting it out of Nepal. Now, considering the Nepalese government had put a ban on him hunting yetis, he rightly figured they may also have an issue with him taking yeti parts out of the country. <laughs> That's a pretty... Why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Slick hit up a friend of his who happened to be holidaying in Kolkata in India and who might be willing to smuggle the relic out of the country unaccosted. <laughs> that man was famed American actor James Stewart. Star of such films as It's a Wonderful Life, Vertigo, Rear Window, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Wow, okay. He was like a big star. Back oh, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeremy Stewart. Stewart was not adverse to a little bit of danger and risk. He had put his film career on hold not long after winning the Best Actor Oscar for the film The Philadelphia Story in order to sign up as a fighter pilot in World War II. Wow. This led right. to him leading bombing raids over Nazi Germany during the war. Jesus, yeah, right. He was even secretly involved in flights as late as 1966 when he was a, quote, non-duty observer in a B-52 on an arc light bombing mission during the Vietnam War. Wow, really? What the That's hell? That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Jeremy Stewart's going to bomb some <laughs> Viet Cong. Is there a movie about him yet? Uh, I don't know. There's got to be like a HBO doco or something yeah, about yeah, the life of yeah. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, He has actually... Um, he's appeared in... Uh, prior to his death, he appeared in some uh, war documentaries about his time serving in the Air Force. Mm. And he would insist that when he was credited on screen, like the caption for him would just be... Uh, James Stewart, like bombardier, or like whatever his rank was, I wouldn't refer to him as great, as best yeah. best actor. actor Oscar winner, or yeah, you know, yeah. like that. It was always just you know, well, soldier, you know. Um, so Slick asked Stewart if he was willing to smuggle the Yeti hand off the subcontinent and back to the West. Stewart said he was up for it, <laughs> but for- hand smuggling. Yeah. yeah, he's like he's like Han Solo, you know. But yeah, <laughs> what's another hand down the pants? <laughs> <laughs> but or he got two there. <laughs> but first, Slick's men had to get the hand out of the Himalayas and down to Kolkata. Ooh, how do you smuggle a hand? So Peter Byrne and his team asked some of the monks at Pangbosh Monastery if they'd be willing to lend the hand so it could be studied. Now, there are several versions of what happened next. Some people believe the monks said just flat out no, so Byrne made a switch when the monks weren't looking, taking a thumb and a forefinger from the hand and replacing them with parts from a human hand. So mm. parts of the hand was actually sort of held together with wire. Yeah, yeah. So he's sort of popped, taken off the thumb, taken off a phalange, and then wired on a human bits to make Jeez. like yeah, if when no one was if watching, like said flat out no to him lending the hand. 
how is he getting that much time by himself to mm. rewire like yeah. so, human so, so, bones? Sorry, who, yeah. who who actually made the switch? Was it Jimmy so Stewart? Or? So no, this is no. Uh, Jimmy Stewart is is miles and miles away. He's okay, in right. India, right? And these right, guys right. are all in Nepal, right? Uh, so some would believe that Burn did a. Hey, uh, look over there and switch to it. But some others suggest that Byrne convinced some of the monks to secretly make the switch. But in a letter written by Byrne, so despite seeing this everywhere, there's actually, you can see Byrne's own version of this, but yet some people just claim that it was like an old switcheroo kind of thing. Yeah. But in a letter written by Byrne, he revealed he had simply bought part of the hand. Quote, we made a donation of 10,000 rupees to the temple, only about 160 uh, in today's rate of exchange whenever he said this in the only like five or six years ago I think but a large amount for a community where the average income might be as little as $15 in a year and the lamas then gave me a go ahead to take one finger and replace it with another from the human hand I had brought from London Burn wrote whose hand is this? <clears throat> <laughs> just, some, just some poor guy like and bought another like someone's arm like at a market like a local market like arms get your arms uh and he has smuggled a human let alone trying to smuggle yeti parts out of nepal he's smuggled a human hand into nepal wow. he has smuggled human body parts does, does, does cross he say borders that or like or is it possible that he bought it there like uh, while we'll, he was there well uh, no we'll, we'll get to how okay. he got the hand in a minute um but he he definitely says here from from the human hand i had brought back from, i brought to nepal from london the bones were then taken back down the mountains and across india to where stuart and his wife, Gloria, were holidaying in Calcutta. Jimmy Stewart popped the, quote, grisly trophy amid his wife's bras and underwear in her lingerie case, and they flew to London. (laughs) However, when they arrived uh, at at the airport and passed through customs, Gloria's lingerie case was missing. The Stewarts headed to their hotel and waited. After three days' nervous wait, a British customs officer turned up at the hotel and asked if he could see the stewards. Peter Byrne later wrote, quote, A few minutes later, a young British customs official appeared at the door of their suite, Gloria's lingerie case in hand. They gave the man a cup of tea, had a pleasant chat, and signed a receipt for the case, which Gloria noticed was locked and had not been opened. Ushering the young man out the door, she pointed this out to him and asked why it had not been opened and examined by customs. Oh, madam, said the young man, certainly not. A British customs official would never open a lady's lingerie case. Well, nice. The perfect crime. James Stewart then passed the thumb and finger bone to Professor William Osmond Hill, a man considered the leading authority on primate, primate anatomy during the 20th century. He had published... 248 works on the subjects of primates. They were good reads too. Including an eight... So so he's familiar. He's a little bit across it. He Googled it a little bit and knows a little bit. A A few YouTube docos. (laughs) Uh, These these included an eight-volume series entitled Primates, Comparative Anatomy and Taxonomy, which, quote, covered all living and extinct primates known at the time in full detail and contained illustrations created by his wife, Yvonne. Wow. Cool. Sounds comprehensive. Yep. Professor Hill also had an interest in cryptozoology, particularly any primate-like cryptids, such as Orang Pendek, the so-called short people of Sumatra. Mm, And Sam Squanches. (laughs) (laughs) So, Slick and his men had previously sent photos of the Pangbosh Yeti hand to Professor Hill, who declared it must belong to 
quote, an unknown anthropoid. So that's his, that's his educated scientific opinion just from looking at a photo of it at this stage. Mm. Mm. Uh, Hill wanted to examine the bones for himself. And it was he who had supplied Byrne with the human hand for the old switcheroo at the monastery. As Byrne later described, he had met Hill for lunch at a London restaurant when Hill pulled out a brown paper bag and passed it to Byrne over the table. Inside the bag was a human hand that was, quote, several months old and dried. I'm going to pass you the hand now. All right. So, mate, I'm I'm eating my fucking... Look under the napkin. But I'm I'm trying to eat sausage. Look under the napkin. That's a human hand. What the fuck are you... Actually, no, that's just... There's a bit of gravy on there. I'll just... (laughs) um, But... Yes, there's Oh, it's falling in your... Oh, oh, it's in your soup. Oh, you're going to eat the rest of that soup. (laughs) (laughs) I never asked him him where he got it from. He told the BBC many decades later. However, the Yeti bones... uh, However, after the Yeti bones were brought to Professor Hill in London for examination, Hill changed his mind about their origins, declaring them to be those of a human. He would change his mind again later to claim that he thought the bones belonged to a Neanderthal. Professor Hill shared the discovery with other fellow scientists. American anthropologist George Agugino disagreed with Hill's assessment, saying the bones were more ape-like than human, but too large for any known ape. Another American anthropologist, Carlton Kuhn, who had previously stated he believed the abominable snowman could exist, disagreed with Agagino, noting that, quote, while the bones were bizarrely shaped, they were within the range of a normal human variation. Mm. Fred Ulmer, a a mammologist from the Philadelphia Zoo, agreed with Kuhn, and chemical analysis at the time was inconclusive. It's worth noting that Hill, Agagino, and Kuhn all agreed that the Yeti could still exist. The questionable evidence of the hand bones not dissuading them from the possibility. Hmm. Well, that's nice. Hmm. So it's, you know, it's still fairly even. Take a hit, get back on my horse. Yeah. But then- it's, it's, it's kind of like a, not really a common occurrence in our podcast to have people with level heads. Like- no, no. <laughs> I think in 13 episodes, this is the first time one has yeah. appeared, let I'm, alone I'm, three of them. I'm impressed and invigorated by it. Let's, let's keep going, Doc. <laughs> okay. But then the bones disappeared and no follow-up tests could be done. So at the moment, these tests we're doing, we're in 1957, uh, 58. Uh, so it's only being done with that technology at that time. Unable to return to Nepal due to his bung knees, Tom Slick turned his attention to hunting Sasquatch, heading up a large number of expeditions in the Pacific Northwest over the next couple of years. His- How many did he find? Well, his aim was to catch a live Sasquatch, and although unsuccessful, he did claim to have found many Sasquatch tracks and took casts of several footprints he believed to be those of Bigfoot. Slick died on October 6, 1962, in a plane crash in Montana while on his way home from a hunting trip in Canada. His life as a cryptid hunter was largely unknown until 1989, when renowned cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman published the bio- biography Tom Slick and the Search for Yeti. LC! Yeah. LC! Lauren Coleman. Lauren fucking Coleman, in yeah. fact. A second, <laughs> a second book by Coleman in 2002 called Tom Slick True Life Encounters in Cryptozoology also detailed F- Slick's friendship with Howard Hughes and his involvement with the CIA. Cool. Ooh. I really dig that like Howard Hughes is like the Tony Stark of just popping up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, tying the universe together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It turns out Slick's Yeti hunting was also a cover. What? During the 1950s, the US government was worried about China's military presence in Tibet. So the CIA approached Slick and asked him to use his Yeti expeditions as a way to gather information on the ground in the Tibet-China area. He was an undercover Yeti investigator. Wow. Well, he was a Yeti investigator, and that was his cover yeah, for being a fucking secret agent. That's like, so dope. There's got to be a movie made about that. That would be so awesome. Yeah. There, uh, I didn't actually put this in, but there was a film in development, and it got put into turnaround. It's kind of it's in development hell at the moment, but signed on at the time to play Tom Slick was Nicolas Cage. Awesome. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Now, quote, uh, by all accounts, Slick proved to be the perfect 007, skillfully combining his Yeti hunts with a quest to secure the latest information on the plans of the Chinese government. Lauren Coleman's book research in 1989 sparked a 1991 episode of NBC's Unsolved Mysteries, which uncovered George Agugino's samples from the bones. These had been left untouched and untested since 1958. Oh, wow. For the program, these were tested and reportedly found to be similar to human tissue, but not definitely human. The show's result was near human. Ooh, that's that's like a Yeti smoking gun right there. I mean, it's... It's, um... Sorry to err on the side of, like, reality and Yeah, whatnot. well, you would. <laughs> but, um... I mean, Neanderthal Man was definitely a thing and preserved in... At high altitudes in cold temperatures. It would probably keep it pretty well. Yeah, I think when saying near human, more than Yeti, I I think it lends more to Australopithecus or uh, Neanderthal or some other proto-human, I think. Yeah. Now, soon after the airing of that program in 1991 and the attention that stirred up, the Pangbosh hand was stolen from the monastery. It was believed to have been sold off into the antiquities black market and disappeared. Can you believe it? Wow. That it was stolen. Uh, no, that, that's, a, that's a fact. But can you believe that it possibly is actually a Yeti hand? Well, I think I kind of jumped the gun a little bit by saying around the fact that you know we know that neanderthal man is a thing and evolution is definitely real Uh, (laughs) but you shill (laughs) but i think um yeah that's like a perfect kind of freezer box scenario for primitive man to be maintained in a condition where if someone was to come upon it like, hey. like, say, a monk who mm. might not be terribly well-versed in the difference between Neanderthal or Yeti or whatever just knows that there's these weird creatures here. He goes off to this cave and leave out the first bit of the story about him getting, seeing the Yeti and running off. And Coming back later and finds, like, a carcass of something or, a, you know, a body of a creature. Yeah, yeah. And it happens to be a Neanderthal. Yeah. So far, I haven't heard anything that completely disproves that it, it that it was a Yeti mm-hmm. hand, like a at a, at all. Really, I was mm. I was kind of expecting you to say, "Well, it was proved that it was a human hand," or, but at no point has that happened so far. So far, in two thousand and eight, the Hunterian Museum, the Royal College of Surgeons in London, was cataloging materials bequeathed to the museum by Professor William Osman Hill after his death in 1975. 
Uh, it took a long time to get through all this shit by the looks of it. Among the bequeathment was a box relating to Hill's interest in cryptozoology. In it were scat and hair samples reportedly from a Yeti, as well as a plaster cast of a supposed Yeti footprint. The box also contained the finger bones that had been taken by Tom Slick's men back in 1958. Wow. So 50 years after the fact, they've found them. Cool. That never happens. Like, usually when that sort of stuff mm. goes missing, it's just gone. Like, there's some, you know, like, evil collector, like, twirling his mustache going, do you like my collection? Well, you know. yeah, and the rest of the hand, that's probably where that is. It's in the hand of yeah. some asshole the collector. The collector. Mm. So, it was probably good that um, Jimmy Stewart and, and uh, old uh, mate Byrne b- yeah. sort of hooked up to... Jimmy Stewart and old mate Byrne. Yeah. <laughs> They, yeah, it actually is somewhat fortuitous because the yeah. rest of the, the hand is lost to time, effectively. Mm. So, the sample still exists. So, they ran the test. What did the test say? A DNA test done at the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland concluded the bones <gasps> did, in fact, belong to a human. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Rob Ogden told the BBC... Uh, that they, quote, got a very, very strong match to a number of existing reference sequences on human DNA databases. Quote, we had several fragments that we put into one big sequence and then we matched that against the database and we found human DNA. So it wasn't too surprising, but it was obviously slightly disappointing that you hadn't discovered something brand new. Human was what we were expecting and human is what we got. Uh, in May 20- confirmation bias oh, I was waiting for it <laughs> yeah yeah it could have yeah. been like human DNA on the bones that they actually touched and, and <laughs> yeah, contamination. DNA contamination yeah, yeah. yeah that's maybe one thing. of the scientists got could their own that. bones mixed up in the um- <laughs> yetis are real in May 2011 here's, here's the, the here's the nice feel good postscript to the story in May 2011 Mike Alsop from New Zealand's special effects house Weta Workshops made a special delivery to the Pangbosh Monastery. Weta, who worked on the Lord of the Rings films, among others, had produced replicas of the stolen scalp and hand using photos of the originals. Alsop delivered the replicas and the monks continued to display them to this day. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that the scalp had gone missing too. Yeah, I I don't think I mentioned that in the first bit, but when... And it's obviously someone who has, because it's, it's got this big boost in popularity from appearing on TV and Lauren Coleman's written, written a book about it. Someone has gone there and set out and just gone yoink and just taken the scalp mm. and the, the hand. Um, there is, uh, I mentioned in there that there was another scalp and another hand that they took photos of that Slick saw. And that's actually from another monastery, like not far over, called yeah. Kumjung, Kum I think yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've actually seen the photos and, and a recent documentary, probably done in the last five, six years, where a, uh, a BBC reporter went there and tested it and that sort of thing. So Yeah, and I, I think there is generally more kind of a, a maybe maybe it is thing about the one from Pangbosh. The one from Kumjong, I think, has been tested a bunch of times or they're, they're pretty convinced that it's, like that. Yeah, that it's not actually the real deal. Um, and I also didn't put in there, but apparently after um, Peter Byrne had bought the pieces and switched them for um, human hands, Edmund Hillary went and saw the Pangbosh yeti hand and was just straight up convinced that it wasn't that it was a human hand yeah like right. from just from looking at it but 
He was looking. At, he was looking at something that had at least two human fingers on it. Then by that point, so yeah. Uh, yeah. So there you go. That's the story of Tom Slick and the Yeti hand of Pang Bosch. Mm. Wow. Um, cool. I didn't actually get to to, to respond to the, to the question earlier, but I, I I'm going to say we well, like, did that. You said okay. Let's you, end the podcast. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> you did say there was nothing at that point that had convinced you otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Like it, I, I don't think it went. Yeah, I don't think there was enough evidence to disprove that it was a yeti hand. I don't think there was enough evidence to prove that it was. Um, the tests like ten years ago. That's not enough if, to if convince you. If push for a yes, no, though, on can you believe it? They did DNA test 10 years ago. I don't want to say no. <laughs> okay, <yes>. no. <laughs> Fuck. You really wanted to... Can't be- we find something You really wanted to believe that one. Cryptozoological. Like, we've got that one's, come- that one's probably the, cl- the closest we've come so far. Like... Mm. It was still. I think, and this this particular area will maybe churn out a few surprising ones. Yeah, I think so. I definitely want to do one on Edmund Hillary and his encounters with Yetis. I think that's really interesting because he's such a high profile person. Um, I, I mean, that to me. So he's rocked up and looked at what he thought was a Yeti hand and like, no, nah, no, nah, that's nothing. No. I've actually seen Yetis. Yeah. I know what they look like. Well, there, there was the um, the mountaineer Reinhold Mesner. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Um, yep. He claimed to have solved the Yeti the Yeti um, uh, mystery years ago. Uh, I'm not going to go into it now because we might do a podcast on it later. But it was it's actually quite an interesting account, and and his solution that that he comes up with or his conclusion is not what you expect it would be. There's another one too, and I think this probably ties in that one. And I'll probably write this one up at some point. But there, it, there was another expedition, like only very, very recently, that came back with what looks like a really good answer to explain the whole Yeti thing. So, wow. Um, and that one, there's, uh, I think it was backed by National Geographic or a large university or something yeah, and, yeah. and and uh so there's yeah there's there's a lot more we can do on this subject but yeah there's lots of interesting um channels to go down with the that. yeti lives yes <laughs> uh you can find all the sources for where i got all this crazy information from uh they'll be on the various platforms and websites and stuff we've got that's right um, matt and if you've maybe smuggled a hand into a country <laughs> um jump into the comments especially by know. an oscar winner then yeah yeah like let, let us know about your smuggling experience um maybe and you are a yeti maybe you are a yeti <laughs> and, and you, you just, just want to reach out to humanity got for the, the internet time. yeah <laughs> drop, drop us a line <laughs> maybe you're a monk in pang bosch and uh you've just been googling <laughs> and you've ended up here let us know send us some bank i'll fling them 10 bucks yeah, yeah. send us a send us a phalange for like twenty bucks. No, I'm, I don't want anything <laughs> in return. I'm just helping these guys out. No, I want mm. I want a phalange. You asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a t-shirt. Yeah, at least a t-shirt. Yeah. Cool. Uh, that's it. See you next time. We can't hear you saluting on the podcast, <laughs> Colonel. Can they hear this? <laughs>